In a world filled with change, mankind has always been able to rely on the permanence of the earth. But the Bible says even that will someday pass away. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah looks around at the state of the fallen world and looks ahead to the perfect world that's soon to come. To introduce the conclusion of his message, The New Heaven and the New Earth, here's David. Thank you for joining us for this new week. We are in the middle of a sermon. You know, I try not to do that, but it happens every once in a while where we start the sermon on Friday and we can't finish it until Monday. Uh, But um, this one will be finished in a good way. We're talking about the new heaven and the new earth. The fact that one day God is going to renovate heaven and earth uh, and the future will unfold and we're discussing that we have all of this material in a book called the book of signs and um, the book of signs is available from turning point through davidjeremiah.org it's 460 pages long Uh, it's the longest book i've ever written and it's one of the more successful books what that means is more people have read this book than just about any other book i've written and it's filled with incredible truth about the future, written in understandable language so that you will know what the Bible says is going to happen. The Bible says that one of the things that's going to happen is there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And we'll talk some more about that in just a moment. But first, don't forget that during this month, we have a resource for you that we know will be a great addition to your library. It's a book called After the Rapture. And uh, it's brand new. It's the story of what will happen on this earth after the Christians are gone. You know, I tell people all the time, if you think that evil is unrestrained now, the Bible says that one day the restrainer is going to be removed. Who is the restrainer? Who, who, who is he? He's the Holy Spirit. Where does he abide? He lives in the hearts of Christians. So when the rapture happens and all Christians are taken out of the world, all restraint has been removed. Don't think you want to be here during that time. And a lot of times people don't think clearly about the future. Someone told me once that most people spend more time planning a two-week vacation than thinking about where they're going to spend eternity. So we're going to try to help you think about what's going to happen after the rapture with this special book. Uh, We have all kinds of ways you can use this to encourage your friends to think seriously about their faith. And uh, we'll be telling you about this going forward. But here's how you get your copy. Send a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of May and simply ask for After the Rapture. And it will be coming to you before you know it. Well, our Bibles are open to Revelation 21. This is the new heaven and the new earth. In what sense is the new heavens and the new earth new? (laughs) Well, there are two words in the Greek language that are translated by the word new. And the one that is translated here is a word that means not new as opposed to having not existed before. It describes something that is new, not in time, but in quality. In the case of the new heaven and the new earth, it is a word that describes not something that never existed before, but rather something that has been in existence, but has been renovated and refreshed from the ruin and the decay of the past. In other words, what Peter is telling us is that in that moment of time at the end of the millennium is God is preparing for the eternal state. He is going to do a refreshing of the earth. 
He's going to destroy all the evidences of decay, all the evidences of disobedience and disease and everything that still will be inherent in the world. And he's going to destroy all of that. But he is not going to destroy the world. He's not going to annihilate the world in which you and I currently live. He's going to purify it. He's going to make it new in the sense of being fresh. He's going to make it new in the sense of being purified from all of the old corruption. Now, since this is such a different understanding of this passage than is often presented, and I believe I knew what this meant, I wanted to be sure that I wasn't the only one who understood this. You know, if you're the only one who believes something from the Bible, you probably better not go around talking about it. If it's new, it's not true, right? So whenever I come to something like this where I've got a little bit of a change in the paradigm of prophecy, I go immediately and I try to find everything I can read on it to make sure I'm not the lone ranger out here hanging out on a limb by myself. Not that I'm a coward or anything, but you understand what I'm saying. So I read numerous commentaries on these passages, and I want you to hear what a couple of other people have said. First of all, listen to what Henry Morris says about this passage. In both the Old and New Testament passages, the words for new mean new in respect to existence. That is, a new heaven and a new earth could be properly translated a fresh heaven and a fresh earth. It is just like the first, except that all of its age-long ravages of decay have been expunged and it is fresh and new again. William Hendrickson, who is a very well-known commentator writes it this way. He said, the first heavens and the first earth have passed away. The very foundations of the earth have been subjected to purifying fire. Every stain of sin, every trace of death has been removed. Out of the great conflagration, a new universe has been born. The word used in the original implies that it was new, but not other. It is a new world, but not another world. It is the same heaven and the same earth, but gloriously rejuvenated. John Piper, a more modern scholar, has written, What happens to our bodies and what happens to the creation go together. And what happens to our bodies is not annihilation, but redemption. Our bodies will be redeemed, restored, made new, not thrown away. And so it is with the heavens and the earth. When God created the heavens and the earth, over and over again, as he completed every part of the creation, what did he say? And God saw that it was what? good. And when he got all the way done, his very last statement, what did he say? And God saw that it was very good. (laughs) There is no evidence that he has ever changed his mind. His purpose is not to abandon his creation. His purpose is to restore it. Anthony Hokema says, if God would have to annihilate the present world, Satan would have won a great victory. Satan would have succeeded in so devastatingly corrupting the present earth that God could do nothing with it but blot it out totally in existence. But Satan did not win such a victory. On the contrary, Satan has been decisively defeated. And God will reveal the full dimensions of that defeat when he shall renew this very earth on which Satan deceived mankind and finally banish from it all the results of Satan's evil machinations. Randy Alcorn writes, God doesn't throw away his handiwork and start from scratch. Instead, he uses the same canvas to repair and make more beautiful the painting that was marred by the vandal. The vandal doesn't get the satisfaction of destroying his rival's masterpiece. On the contrary, 
God makes an even greater masterpiece out of what his enemy sought to destroy. All right, we've talked about the information and the interpretation. Now, I want to give you an illustration. And isn't it wonderful that the illustration is right in the Bible? <laughs> right in the same passage of 2 Peter. So hold your Bibles open out of 2 Peter. And I want you to see something that will help you realize how accurate this interpretation really is. Read with me from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. This is about the flood that took place during the time of Noah. Are you with me? Here we go. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. Now, what could this possibly have to do with the new heavens and new earth? Listen now carefully, because this is key. Peter gives to us the key of understanding fire by telling us about water. (laughs) He helps us comprehend the meaning of the final purging of the heaven and earth by describing the earlier purification that took place in the days of Noah. Now, I want to ask you some questions. Did the flood in Noah's time annihilate the earth? Did it? The flood was certainly destructive and cataclysmic, but it did not obliterate the world. God preserved Noah and his family so that they could re-inhabit the world that was made ready for them by the cleansing and purification of the flood. In the same manner, God will not cause the present earth to cease to exist by the fire that will come at the end of the age. The fire will have a much greater purifying effect upon the world than water did but it will not destroy the world. And just as Noah and his family were protected in the ark, God's people will be protected in the New Jerusalem, which we discovered recently is not on the earth yet, but is hovering above the earth. That will be our ark of safety during the purification of the earth. So we have the promise of a new heaven and earth, and we have the purification of the new heaven and earth. And now I want to give you, thirdly, some principles of the new heaven and earth. When this new heaven and new earth is finished and God has purified it and it's still the same earth and still the same heaven but it has been purged, it's been made fresh and all of the sin stains are gone and all the evidences of death are gone and all the signs of disease are gone. What is the world going to be like then? Well, go back to Revelation 21 with me verse 1 and let me give you one thing we know for sure. And this will shock some of you, it may even disappoint some of you but I hope you'll be all right with it when we get done. Revelation 21.1 says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Now all of us who moved out here to California, so we get next to the ocean, and you're standing up here and telling me that I moved out here for nothing because when God gets done with this place, he's going to wipe out the ocean. That's what it says, isn't it? There will be no more sea. What part of that don't you understand? (laughs) The Apostle John says there will be no more sea. Now watch carefully. Since three-fourths of the globe today is underwater, a new world without any sea would certainly be new. (laughs) From his vast knowledge of creation, once again, Dr. Henry Morris explains the nature of the Apostle's statement. Listen. 
There will be, in fact, says Henry Morris, no need for a sea on the new earth. The present sea is needed as a basic reservoir for the maintenance of the hydrologic cycle. In the new earth, all men and women who live there will have their glorified bodies with no more need of water. Their resurrected bodies will be composed like that of the Lord Jesus of flesh and bone and apparently with no need of blood to serve as a cleanser and restorer of the body's flesh as it is in present. This in turn, he says, eliminates the major need for water on earth. Blood is 90% water and present day human flesh is 65% water. In other words, the way that we live ecologically in the new world will be totally different than the way we live now. You say, well, I can't imagine a world that's beautiful without the sea. Well, don't forget that in the New Jerusalem, flowing down from the throne of God, there is a river. And it is a great river that runs out into tributaries, and it's fresh water, not salt water, because you see salt as a preservative so that decay won't take place. But in the new heavens and the new earth, there'll be no decay. There'll be no need for salt. And the fresh waters will flow out throughout the world, and it'll be more beautiful than anything you can imagine with the trees that are growing side by side along the river with different fruits every month, which you can pick off and eat, and with leaves that provide a quality of life that is beyond anything we have ever known. So give God just a little bit of credit here that if he made the seas in the first place and they're attractive to us, when he remakes the earth and makes it fresh, watch what he does. No more sea. The removal of the sea is the first thing I want you to note. Secondly, I want you to note the reversal of the curse. Notice verse 3 of chapter 22 in Revelation. Revelation 22, 3. And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and the servants shall serve him. Now, what is the curse? The curse is a particular event that took place. And you remember when that happened? In the Garden of Eden, because man violated God's commands, God cursed the earth. Let me refresh your memory. Go back with me to the book of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3 and following, verse 17. Here's the curse. Then to Adam God said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, but thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. That's the curse. It's the curse of death and decay. Now, the Bible says, when we get to the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no more curse. The curse will be reversed. Say it out loud. The curse will be reversed. Can't wait till they reverse the curse. Can you? (laughs) When on the new earth, the curse is reversed, the sense of labor and toil that accompanies our care of the ground and our pursuit of food will be returned to the way it was in the garden before the fall. The ground will no longer produce thorns and thistles, and we ourselves will not be returned to the ground in death because we will never die. Because of man's fall into sin, a curse was pronounced over this creation, and God sent his Son into the world to redeem that creation from the results of sin. And the work of Christ is not just to save the innumerable throng of blood-bought people, 
The total work of Christ is nothing less than to redeem this entire creation from the effects of sin. That purpose will not be accomplished until God has ushered in the new earth, until paradise lost becomes paradise regained. Finally, the third thing, not only the removal of the sea and the reversal of the curse, the restoration of all things. Ephesians 1.10 puts it this way, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times at the end of time, God might gather together in one all things in Christ. Now watch this. Both which are in heaven and which are in earth in him. God's plan of the ages is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Today, there is a great separation between heaven and earth. But when Paul uses the term all things, he's being very inclusive Nothing will be left out. Christ will make heaven into earth and earth into heaven. And the wall that separates heaven and earth will be forever demolished. There will be one universe and all things in heaven and on earth will be together under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's plan is that there will be no more gulf between the spiritual and the physical worlds. There will be one cosmos, one universe united under one Lord forever and ever. This is the unstoppable plan of God. This is where history is headed. This is where we're all going, to a new heaven and a new earth. I don't know what that means to you. It changes your whole paradigm of the future. You say, I thought we were going to be in the New Jerusalem. Absolutely. You remember what I told you? The New Jerusalem was not heaven. It was the capital city of heaven. The New Jerusalem during the eternal age will descend and it will rest upon the earth. Let me ask you a question. If you get all the way to the end of the Bible and all of the judgments are gone, all the tribulation is gone, all the millennium is gone, and then God says, I'm going to make the earth all over again, what purpose would there be for the earth if we weren't going to live here? You say, well, I thought I was going up, and I'm all disappointed now. I'm going to have to live on this earth. Well, you won't be disappointed if you just stop for a moment and think. The lesson is what most moderns would call a paradigm shift. Let me just give you two thoughts. Number one, gives you a new appreciation for the world in which we now live. You know, as Christians, we have a reputation of being very poor ecologists. We have a reputation of always bad-mouthing the tree-huggers and all that sort of thing, you know. And, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily true. I don't believe that's true. But I understand why it could be true. Because, you see, if a Christian believes that this world is just a temporary thing that's not ever going to have any purpose in the future, and our home is up there, and this earth is no good, and it's trashy, and it's going to be totally destroyed, why would you spend any time trying to take care of it? Even though that's one of our commands in the early part of the book of Genesis, to care for the earth. Well, you see, when you understand that this earth is not going to be destroyed but refreshed, when you understand that this earth in some measure that we may not fully understand is going to be a part of your future destiny, your future home forever and ever, you will look at this world in a whole different way. And I'll tell you the truth, since I've been studying this, this is true. When you sit on your porch at night and you look out over the valley and the lights are all on, and and I was out there the other night thinking... How beautiful, Lord, this is. I can't imagine what it will be like when you take all the negative stuff out of it and it is pure and perfect. It will be just the same, only in a whole different category. With none of the ravages of sin. With none of the smog from L.A. With none of the other stuff that comes down here to pollute our beautiful city. It will be all gone. 
And it will be fresh and new and there will be no more death and no more dying and no more pain and no more sorrow. And you tell me it's not heaven. I actually wondered sometimes in my own heart as I looked at the beautiful places Don and I have had a chance to visit, how is God ever going to top this? How is he ever going to top this? Now I realize he's going to take this and elevate it to a whole new level and it will be our eternal abode. We will have access to the heavens and to the earth made new by Almighty God. Isn't that a wonderful thought? I'm going up and I'm going around and I'm going to be here. I'm going to be on this earth with Almighty God. So it gives you a new appreciation. Sometimes when John says not to love the world, we misunderstand. He's not talking about the created world. He's talking about the world system. He's saying don't love the system of the world, but don't stop loving the world. This is my father's world. It's a beautiful world he's created. And we almost discredit God by our attitude toward this world sometimes. God created this in the beginning. And yes, we've messed it up for him. But one day, praise the Lord, he's going to come back. And in one moment of time, he's going to just totally fix everything that's been messed up. In the world that he created, when he said, let there be light, will again be the pristine world of our creator God. And we shall live and reign with him forever and ever. A new appreciation for the world in which we live. And then secondly and lastly, a new appreciation for the world to which we're going. A little girl was visiting the country and she was struck by the brilliance of the night skies. She said to her mom, Mom, listen to this. If heaven is so pretty on the wrong side, what in the world is it going to look like on the right side? That's my sentiment exactly. The right side of heaven is certainly splendid beyond comparison. It is a place characterized by laughter without tears and life without death and singing without mourning and contentment without crying and pleasure without pain. And our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be there and our loving Heavenly Father will be there and the Blessed Holy Spirit will be there and there will be a new heaven and a new earth crowned by a resplendent city called the New Jerusalem. And my friend, I'm going there. I'm going there. And I don't have all the answers. I can't figure it all out. But the same God who magnificently created this world is going to refresh this world. And one day, we are going to rule and reign with him in this perfect place called heaven. And the only way I can tell you that that can be yours is by giving you the same formula that God gave me. Here it is. He said through his son Jesus, I am the way. Not, I am not one of the ways. I am the way. The truth and the life. Now listen to this. This is very exclusive. This is really not politically correct. This is just biblically correct. Here's what he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man comes to the Father except through me. You want to live on this earth? refreshed and made beautiful by the Lord in a place we call heaven in the new Jerusalem, you better make sure you have made your peace with God through Jesus Christ. You do that by confessing your sin and accepting what he did in the cross and you ask him to be your savior and Lord and he will do it. He will do it right now, right here, right where you are. Amen. Amen. Well, tomorrow here on Turning Point, we're going to visit the heavenly city. Uh, oftentimes people think this is heaven itself, but it's the 
city of Jerusalem. It's the heavenly city. It's an amazing place, described pretty um, graphically in Revelation 21 and 22. That's tomorrow here on Turning Point. Don't miss uh, the last uh, two days of this series as we talk about the heavenly city. Well, we also want you to know that um, we're going to Alaska, and we try to stay up in front of this, and sometimes we forget to tell you, but we've done a pretty good job of telling you about Alaska because we know a lot of people want to go somewhere, and Alaska is a great place to go, and we're going to have a great time. July 16th through the 23rd, we'll be heading out to Alaska for our conference cruise, and I want you to come along with us. And the way you find out about that is, once again, at davidjeremiah.org. Plenty of information to help you make your reservations and join us for this beautiful, beautiful cruise coming up in just a few weeks. We'll see you right here tomorrow. In the meantime, you have a wonderful day. Serve the Lord with all your heart and love Him and watch Him work. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. How is God blessing you with this ministry? Write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival which answers the question, what's next? It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in a variety of attractive cover options. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the word, and be in prayer. If you're ready to go deeper in your Bible study, Living the 66 Books of the Bible by Dr. David Jeremiah will help. You'll learn how to identify each book's purpose, theme, challenge, verse, and prayer. And it's yours with a donation of any amount to Turning Point this month. And if you give $60 or more, you'll also receive the first volume of this series and a Genesis through Revelation DVD. To learn more, visit davidjeremiah.ca. Theodore Kyler was a prominent Reformed pastor and prolific author and friends with Dwight L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon, and other leaders of the day. I like his observation about anxiety. He said, 
God never built a Christian strong enough to carry today's duties with tomorrow's anxieties piled on top of them. If that sounds familiar, it's because he was paraphrasing something Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said not to worry about tomorrow because each day has enough trouble of its own. Instead, Jesus said, stay focused on the kingdom of God and trust in God's provision just one day at a time. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's answers for today and tomorrow on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.